I am amazed at how when we jump into studying a book of the Bible as a church, and we love to go through books of the Bible, that though we're walking verse by verse through books of the Bible, God seems to always order things so well. Uh, he's, he's done it again. It's Mother's Day, and we're looking at Jesus and women. And we've been planning on looking at Jesus and women for quite a while. And then we had a couple snow days, and it set us back. And here we are talking Jesus and women on Mother's Day. And so all that shoveling that you have done throughout the— it was just so that we could talk about women on Mother's Day. That's all. And so God is good. Uh, now, a man teaching on womanhood in Boston, <laughs> guaranteed to be very well received. And so you can send my hate mail to kevin at com. So you write that down. And we'll get over there um, in just a minute into some of the difficult stuff. But Luke chapter 7, verse 36 is where we're going to be this morning. So find your way there in your Bible or an app or we have it on the screen. If you don't have a Bible back at home, we've got Bibles around the room. Grab one of those and uh, you can bring it back home. It's our gift to you. Luke chapter 7 will be at verse 36 to start out here. And uh, let me just say, uh, just to start out, that I have some remarkable women in my life. My wife is the love of my life, and she is the most incredible mom I've ever known. Uh, I have an amazing mom. Uh, many of you got to meet her last week in her sweet southern draw. And I have an awesome mother-in-law. I have a, a grandmother who is just my most faithful prayer warrior. But I just have some great great uh, mothers and, and ladies in my life. And also, I, I really do count it a privilege uh, to know uh, you ladies in this room who are part of our church family. Uh, let me just say that you uh, love and support and encourage and challenge me more than I could ever uh, begin to articulate. I am just deeply grateful uh, for all of you. And it is our hope as a church to support you, to honor you, to acknowledge just the, the divine beauty that God has, has put within you, that you are created in the image and the likeness of God. It is our hope to, to make sure that you know, that we know, that you are a vital piece to the mission of God in our church and in our city and in our world. And unfortunately, it is often uh, portrayed in popular culture that Christianity is the antithesis to women's dignity. And that is just spin. That is just absolutely not true. I hope to show you this this morning. I I hope to show you that though some people do hold anti-female beliefs, that this is in spite of, not in light of, the Bible. The idea that Christianity is misogynistic or, or oppressive to women is completely opposite of the life and the message and the ministry of Jesus. And so look with me. We'll see it beginning in Luke chapter 7. Verse 36, it says this. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This is just a, a beautiful occasion. Some of you may be familiar with this story. There's one very similar to it at the end of Jesus's ministry. We're now about a, a year away from the end of Jesus's time on earth. And at that last week 
Uh, this happens similarly uh, as well. It's just so rich a text that I could pull out various sermons out of this amazing passage on worship, on sacrifice, on the grace of God. Uh, but in light of what comes in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we're going to look at the, the dignity of women. And, and the title of my sermon this morning is Jesus and Women. And so here's what we have. We have a dinner party happening hosted by a Pharisee. We learn in verse 40 that this Pharisee, his name is Simon. Now, all throughout the book of Luke, you see Jesus just going back and forth and back and forth with the religious elite. They're just butting heads. And it's safe to assume in light of that, that this dinner invitation was not some friendly, hospitable invitation. We, we read later that this dinner wasn't extended to Jesus, uh, the common courtesies that would typically be extended to a, a dinner guests. And so rather than this warm reception, it's more likely that this is an invitation into a trap where they would catch him and saying something that he shouldn't have said in their eyes or, or an invitation into a hostile debate. Now, the, the Pharisees, who these guys were, were they were middle class businessmen. And so they were in touch with uh, common people. Unlike their, their counterparts who had the majority of the Sanhedrin, their counterparts were the, the Sadducees, who were these wealthy kind of aristocrat type people, very politically concerned. And because the Pharisees were not these political types, they, they generally carried the support of the common people. Do we like our politicians? Eh, not so much. Those who aren't super dug into politics, we, we love them. We like them. And these, though, are the men that Jesus keeps confronting, those who have the support of the, the common people, those who have tremendous support from the majority. But Jesus is not threatened by the majority. He had no fear of confronting the, the status quo. And that's what's going to happen again here in this text. One more time, he confronts status quo, yet this time it takes place inside of one of their homes. It's an incredibly intense moment. And, and so Jesus goes in, he takes his place at the table. It says he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. So this tells us that this meal, the fact that he's reclining, is either a banquet or, or a Sabbath meal. A, a banquet perhaps to honor Jesus, really perhaps to, to trap him in his words, or, or a Sabbath meal whereby we know it was Jesus' custom to go and, and to teach on the Sabbath in, in synagogues. And so uh, it was custom that you would invite the teacher, the rabbi, over to uh, a Sabbath meal and, and eat with him. And, and the point that I'm getting at here is that either a banquet or a Sabbath meal, is that it was some kind of formal meal where in their custom they would recline at table for these formal meals and they would lean on their, their left arm and kind of stretch their bodies out uh, while they're leaning on cushions and they would eat with their, their right arm. Now for me, a lefty, this would be kind of an awkward scenario. I'd have food all over my face and God forbid we use chopsticks. I'd be in, in really big trouble. But, but, but Luke's reference here to the fact that it's a formal occasion shows us that, 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 that it's formal and it's going to go from formal to abnormal pretty quickly. Anybody ever been there? You've been in a formal event where it goes from formal to, this is getting kind of weird, really fast, where somebody does something that just seems totally unfitting for the occasion. Maybe your crazy uncle gets drunk at the funeral reception, or, or maybe an uninvited guest shows up to your wedding. That happened to us. 
Uh, and maybe they decide, we're going to make a toast as well. You're not even invited and you're making a, a, a toast. Or a family fight, God forbid, breaks out at the Mother's Day brunch. It's just, it's not supposed to happen like this. This is not the, the right place. This is not, and here's how it goes down here. That woman, that woman, that girl, that woman shows up to the Pharisees' formal dinner with Jesus. Go ahead and say it. Awkward, right? It, it, it's awkward right now. She shows up, and it says that she was a sinner. Now, even Israel, they knew that all people were sinful. However, this woman is characterized as a sinner. And, and people were referred to this way as a sinner when their, their life and their occupation were sinful. So like a tax collector, obviously sinful. They're, they're ripping off people or, or camel drivers or, or, or tanners because their, their occupations made them ceremonially unpure or impure. Now, uh, in, in that day, it was highly unlikely that a woman would be a tax collector or a camel driver or a tanner. But what would be an occupation that would characterize a woman as a sinner? A prostitute. And so prostitute shows up and she crashes, crashes the party because she hears that Jesus is at this party. Yet she shows up. Nobody really asks her to leave because it wasn't crazy uncommon for an uninvited guest to show up and to hang out whenever rabbis were teaching because they would often come and they would kind of lay low in the background and they would just listen and, and they would learn. And yet this woman is not just the average uninvited guest. She's a, a prostitute and she gets kind of close. And because of the, the, the formal setup where their upper bodies are leaning at the, the tables, near the tables, their, their feet would have been pointed out away from the tables, kind of like spokes on a, a wheel. And, and so she's able to be near Jesus' feet, yet not be right in on all of the action. And she gets near Jesus' feet, and we read that she begins to, to weep. And she begins to weep, maybe because she, she's honored at just being in the presence of, of Jesus. Can you imagine what it's going to be like one day when we see him face to face? Can you imagine that? She's in the presence of, of Jesus. Or maybe because it's, she, she recognizes her, her sinfulness. But whatever it is, she, she just begins to weep. And she's close enough to Jesus' feet that it says that her tears fall on his feet. So I imagine she's, she's down on her knees worshiping Jesus. And it says that, that, that she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And so that means that she would have had to take her hair down. And in that day, a woman letting her hair down in public was shameful, even grounds for divorce. And so she lets her hair down and her tears now have wet the feet of Jesus. And she starts to wipe the feet of Jesus with her hair and her, her tears. Now this is kind of getting scandalous here. But she was inclined to let her hair down despite the social norms because that's what she had to worship Jesus with. All propriety is out the window. It doesn't stop her at all. She also goes on, it says, and she just kisses the, the feet of Jesus. Can you picture this? Hair, tears, kissing the, the feet of 
of Jesus. This is an incredible moment here. It also will tell us that she's carrying this alabaster flask of ointment or oil or perfume. And it says that she begins to take that and, and anoint his feet with the alabaster. Now, or with the ointment inside of the alabaster flask. Now, alabaster was a stone that was used for very expensive types of things like Solomon's temple, for example. And so you don't put cheap cologne in an alabaster flask. We're not talking about she's dumping a little axe on his feet from CVS. She's putting something incredibly valuable onto the, the, the feet of Jesus. And the way the alabaster flasks worked is it wasn't this thing you used over and over and over again. It would get sealed up. And so in order to get to the ointment, you had to break it. And so it wasn't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some of this now, and then I'll use some later for myself and my family members. No, she's, she's giving it all to Jesus. She's going big for, for Jesus right now. She's going all out. Now, she's been selling her body. And so she is obviously very desperate, obviously very poor. But she seems to think that Jesus is worth this great fortune of, of uh, this alabaster box and the ointment that's within it. She gives this great luxury to Jesus because she so uh, adores him. Now, the party, if you haven't figured this out, the party's gotten kind of crazy here. Now, now let's read on. Verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Now, we're inside of Simon's head here. I wish you could read some people's minds. But we're inside of Simon's head. And he says to himself, all right. If this Jesus was really a great prophet, he would have known about this woman. He would have known that she is a sinner, that she is a a, a prostitute. He would not have let her touch him. He would not have let her defile him. Now, as a side note, Jesus doesn't get defiled. Nobody can make Jesus unclean. On the contrary, what happens in in the scripture is when the unclean touches Jesus, the unclean gets clean, not Jesus gets unclean. They get get clean, right? So uh, as we saw earlier, uh, verses 11 through 17, Jesus touches the dead man. Does Jesus get defiled? No, the dead man gets clean and gets healed and and resurrected back to life. In in the next chapter, in chapter 8, there's a bleeding woman who is ceremonially unclean, and and she touches the garment of Jesus by great faith. And does Jesus get unclean? No. She gets healed. And and so Simon thinks, this woman is unclean by her her lifestyle. And he doesn't even recognize it. He's no prophet. And when he thinks this in his head, Jesus says, hey, what's that? And Simon's like, "Uh, what? I didn't say anything. He's in his head. He knows what he's thinking. Read with me. Beginning in verse 40, it says, And Jesus answering, he answers this thought. (laughs) He says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose 
for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time I came in. She, or from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right. So Jesus gets in the head of Simon the Pharisee. He says, let me tell you something. And he goes into this, this parable. He says, there's this money lender who lent out about 500 denarii to one person and, and 50 denarii to a, another person. And Jesus says, it ends up that neither of those who borrowed the money were able to pay back their debt, but the lender was gracious and forgave both of them of their debt. So he says, so Simon, which borrower would be the most grateful, the most in love and in awe because of the debt forgiveness? Well, one denarii was about a day's wage. So we're talking about a month and a half pay compared to say, a year and a half pay. So uh, a buddy of mine, uh, for his senior prom night back in high school, he, he was all decked out. And he was going to get his, his pictures taken with his family. You, you know how it works for prom. Not only is it you and your family, but sometimes other friends will come and other family members will come and they'll say, look, my boy, all dressed up. And so my buddy's all, all dressed up. And his family had some, some family friends who were there. And, and, and this man walks over to my buddy when he's all decked out for, for prom night. He says, hey, here's the keys to my Lexus. You guys go have a good time tonight. And they had a great time. Until he crashed the Lexus that night. <laughs> Brand new Lexus. And he comes back. And the owners were surprisingly very cool about it. You know what? It's no big deal. And they forgave him and said, no, don't worry about it. Seriously, don't, don't even worry about it. It's what insurance is for. Now compare this to my, my father-in-law loves to let me borrow his tools. And my stroke of bad luck is so bad that it seems like every time I borrow his tools, I break his tools. And so I've gotten to this point where I say, no, nah, don't worry about it. And he, but he keeps insisting on me. What do I do? Help me out here, counsel. He keeps, no, you, go on, Josh. Just, ah. Uh. And he's always like, don't worry about it. Who, who's going to be more grateful when you get the word, don't worry about it? Eh, a tool or a Lexus? The guy who, Ruined uh, Alexis, of course. Who, who's, who's the greater debtor? The kid who wrecked the, the Lexus. And Jesus is saying to Simon, saying, who's the greater debtor? She's, she's the greater debtor. And Simon says, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. And then Jesus turns towards this woman. And he says, Simon, here's the, here's the deal. When I came into your place, you didn't even provide water for my feet. Now it was a common gesture to, 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 if you were the host, to have one of your servants wash the, the feet of your guests because they wore sandals in that day, things were dusty, your feet got nasty. And, 
and dirty. And he says, but Simon, you didn't even offer to wash my feet. And then he says, Simon, when I came to your place, you didn't give me a kiss. Now this, again, was a common gesture to to give a kiss on the, the cheek, even for the men. He says, yet this woman, she's washed my feet and wept over me and cleansed them. She gave me a kiss and just kept kissing my feet over and over and over again. It's this, this word that says it was this continual past action that just kept happening. She just kept kissing my, my feet. Simon, when I came to your place, you didn't anoint my head with oil. That was another common gesture is when you had a guest, you would put a little olive oil on their head. It was this expression. It was also this, this way to, to kind of help spruce somebody up. He says, but this woman went all out and anointed my, my feet with this ointment. And so Jesus then says, her sins are many, but her sins are forgiven. And in light of that, she just loves me. It's this overwhelming sense of the graciousness of God on her life that causes her to do all these things. Jesus says, if you've been forgiven little, you love little. But if you've been forgiven a lot, and she was in the gutter, it's amazing. Simon, you're a Pharisee. You're known as a great law keeper. You appear so holy, but you're still sinful and you need my forgiveness, but you act like it's no big deal. He looks at this woman. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Was it her exercise of all these things that she earned her salvation? No, it was her faith that, that saved her. Listen, you may be made right with God if you would do exactly what she did. And that is exercise great faith in the Lord. That you would acknowledge your disparity. That you would acknowledge your sin. You would acknowledge how far you are from God and you would receive his grace. You can be made right with God. Whether you're like Simon and you're pretty good or you're like her and you're obviously not so good. It all comes down to what will you do with Jesus? Will you exercise faith in his life and his death and his resurrection? And will you trust in him? Now, I told you up front that I wanted to show you the, the dignity of, uh, that the Christian faith acknowledges within women. That though pop culture says Christianity is misogynistic and, and, and that though some people will hold... Uh, Anti-female beliefs, it's, it's in spite of, not in light of, the, the Bible, that the Bible does not support an anti-female sentiment. Uh, let, let's just think about what Jesus has done here. He comes into the home of a religious leader of that day, a man who carried lots of support from the people. And this scandalous situation takes place with all kinds of lessons for us to take away. However, Jesus was more concerned with this woman as a person than everything else that was going on. He was more concerned with this woman as a person than the rapport of the people in the room and all the people that they knew. Jesus completely challenges the the status quo. We see him do this over and over and over again. He, He takes extreme cases and he uses them to set the bar for all cases. Like as we talked about on Easter Sunday. He said, I want you to love your enemies. And so he draws out this 
this wide circle and puts the enemies on the extreme. He says, I want you to love your enemies. And so that means that everybody who is within that circle, you need to love as well. That means your annoying coworker. That means your obnoxious neighbor. That means your frustrating spouse. They're not quite your enemies, so they're inside the circle. You're to love them too. He does the same thing here with this woman. We have this incredibly sinful woman. She's at the outer edge of the circle. Perhaps your life doesn't touch her life. But he's saying, listen, I'm offering, affording to her, acknowledging within her, her dignity as a human being created by God. I'm impressed with her faith. And, and he then compares her to this man who's supposed to be this great religious person. And he impresses, or shows that he's impressed with this man and he, he's, or this woman. He's amazed at her, her faith and compares her to this man. He, he's, he's not even uncomfortable in the presence of this outer extreme kind of woman. Do you see that? He's not even uncomfortable with her. He doesn't say, okay, you cross the line when you just let down your hair. You're a prostitute. That, that's probably crossing the line. I spoke to this, this woman's and, and her husband one time, and the lady said, you know, Josh, I'm struggling. She doesn't go to this church. She said, I'm just struggling because my, my pastor doesn't know how to act around women. It's not that he's inappropriate. It's that he's immobile. When he gets around women, he just, he just freezes up or he'll just kind of flee altogether. And I remember this is a very insightful moment for me in my ministry because not unlike that pastor, you know, I had been warned numerous times, Josh, you're to guard your marriage, you're to be above reproach, you're to, to, to flee immorality. And, and, and that's so important. And I want my marriage to be an example to you. I, really, I deeply do. I, you know, I heard of an, an influential Christian leader one time who said he wouldn't even be in the same elevator as a woman so as to be above reproach, which is the leading characteristic of leaders in the church, that he wanted to be blameless. To which, you know what I think? If you can't be in an elevator for 30 seconds with somebody and control yourself, you're not blameless I mean, imagine if Jesus did that. This doesn't look good. You, you got to back away from me. Keep your hair up. That's a great gesture. Thank you very much. But you're making me uh, uncomfortable. Here's what I'm getting at. Here's what can happen. Churches can often provide avenues for, for men and women to grow in their faith. But then there becomes oftentimes this kind of this invisible ceiling. Do you know what I mean? Where because we don't know how to provide space for women, ladies to continue to grow and to flourish in their faith outside of homemaking and, and, and child rearing. They just kind of hit this ceiling and they can't go beyond that and it breaks my heart. It's a code that I think the church needs to be able to crack. Now, let me be very clear here that as a church, our, our position for biblical manhood and womanhood is a position that we refer to as complementarian. That means that we interpret the Bible to say that there are some areas in church leadership where men and, and women have equal but distinct roles. They don't compete with each other. They, they complement each other. We don't have a lot of time for that now to talk about that, but I'd encourage you to go on our website. We have all kinds of information about that and sermons on that. However, 
when it comes to spiritual growth and when it comes to impact for the kingdom of God, there should be no limit for women. There should be no limit to what they can accomplish and the heights to which they they can grow. We need to get back as churches in America to the liberation and the opportunity that we see in the New Testament for women. This great freedom that they're latching onto for the first time. For the first time we have have women coming and listening with a rabbi like this woman or like Mary later uh, at the, the, the time the, about a week before the, the death of Jesus where she's at the feet of Jesus. And you have a woman at the feet of Jesus in the position of a disciple listening to a, a rabbi. It's an amazing moment. Or, or women are constantly learning from Jesus about the Torah and the Torah in light of the Messianic prophecies when in that day women weren't often given the opportunity to be taught the Torah at all and continue on in their discipleship. Jesus is, is throughout the gospel providing healing and providing deliverance for, for women. Jesus is constantly throughout the gospels uh, exalting and lifting up women who are great heroes of the faith. These women are tremendous examples. He's, he's sharing parables about women. He's pointing out specific women. You can read a, a, a ton of history where men are the writers and so who's the heroes? The men are the heroes. And Jesus says, yes, but there's also a lot of heroes among the women. Think about the, the first resurrection appearances. Who are they to? They're to women. When in that day, women couldn't give testimony in the court. And Jesus says, this is ridiculous. Talk to the women. I'm alive. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 is this amazing passage. You should memorize it. Where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And so he's saying racial inequality, no more because of Jesus. Slavery, no more because of Jesus. Gender inequality, no more because of Jesus. No more because of of Jesus. Today, if you're to look where the Christian faith has taken root and made great influence... These are places where women are the most liberated. On the contrary, go to a place like Saudi Arabia, the last remaining country where until this year women could not vote. Women can't even drive. And in these biblical times that Jesus is dealing with, we've looked at Jewish culture, but it was not just Jewish culture. It was all across the, the cultures. It spanned the cultures. For the, for the Greek culture, women could not leave their house unless they had a male escort. She couldn't eat with or interact with male guests in her husband's own home. In Roman culture, Roman law said that 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 woman was under the control of her husband. He owned all the property. He owned everything. She had no say in it. And he could divorce her if she left the house without a veil. Yet, Paul says, husbands, love your wives how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This example of this deep, loving, sacrificial kind of love that stood completely opposed to the culture of that day. Listen, it is God's desire for women to be granted the dignity that they have as image bearers of God. It is God's desire for us to create a space where women can 
thrive. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You're constantly looking out for her. You're caring for her. You're discipling and loving and supporting her. But what if you're not married? Does that mean you can't thrive until you get yourself a man? No. Listen, ladies, being a wife and being a mother is a tremendous joy and a tremendous responsibility. But you need to hear me. I want you to hear this. It's not the end-all, be-all. It really isn't. In the old covenant, the blessing was children. And from children, descendants, a nation would come. In the new covenant, the blessing is disciples. And so you're not married. You can make disciples. As Paul, as Jesus refers to them, spiritual children. God does not want you sitting around waiting for the man to come. God wants you to be about his business. Time is ticking on when Jesus comes back, not on your wedding day. Make disciples. You have a great opportunity before you. Some of the most amazing ministers of the gospel that I've ever known have been single ladies. Ladies without children, ladies who were divorced, ladies who were widowed, ladies who are empty nesters. I have this high school friend, her name is Nikki. Single lady, still single, and just has been all over the world because of her freedom with the gospel. Just an opportunity she would not have had had she been married and had kids. I have uh, another divorced friend named, named Karen who uh, not long after being divorced, her husband was a jerk and cheated on her. She ends up getting breast cancer and went through the ringer and then fought it. And by the grace of God, she's alive. And now as a single divorced lady, she has this amazing ministry to ladies who have been battling with cancer. I have another friend. She's an elderly lady named Judy. Judy's been an empty nester for a very long time now. And she battles for me in prayer. She battles for you in prayer. You haven't even met her, many of you. She travels around the the world for, for missions. She's constantly meeting with young women and just pouring her life into her. In fact, our last movie at the park that we had where we showed Frozen in the park, she was there and she's running around telling everybody about Jesus and about the church. She was, she was fired up. She's a, a wonderful elderly single lady. I grew up as a, as a young guy under the teaching of a lady named Susie and she was an empty nester. Her kids were out of the house but she was a Fierce Bible teacher. I mean, just an amazing Bible teacher. She wasn't satisfied with the same three-part rotation for women, you know, the the teaching that women always get. Okay, we're going to do an Esther Bible study. We're going to do a Ruth Bible study. And now we're going to do a Proverbs 31 Bible study. And then in three years, we're going to do an Esther Bible study and a Ruth Bible study and then a Proverbs 31 Bible study. She said, no, no, not, not happening. We're getting into Romans. We're digging into Leviticus. She was the first person to ever introduce me to a homeless person. Stirred my heart up. She's the person I've told you before, said Josh. Riskiest prayer you can ever pray is to see people the way Jesus sees them. So I started to pray that way and it changed my life forever. God, let me have the eyes of Jesus. She's the first person to ever bring me into a low-income housing development. Changed my life forever. Shaped our church forever. Ladies, please, please, please hear me. You are necessary to the kingdom. 
You are indispensable in the life of our church. It's all throughout the Bible. Titus 2 says older women are needed. They're must. You don't retire and go to Florida. You are needed to invest into the lives of younger women. Acts chapter 18, Priscilla and Aquila, both of them together, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, are, are teaching Apollos. Philip has, has young daughters and his young daughters are, are prophesying in, in, in Corinth. Paul speaks to the church as to how to order things. And he has women praying and prophesying inside of a church service. In Acts chapter 8, as it starts to talk about how, how the apostles weren't even all that necessary for, for the larger mission. It was the people of God, just the average men and women of God who, who went all over the world. Women were included in that mix, bringing the gospel to the known world. And so there you have it. Old women, married women, single women. Young women, all women, having an incredible impact both inside and outside of the church, being used mightily of God. Church, we are 50% weak without our strong women. And I love this story that Jesus grants dignity to this woman. Not only did he speak with this woman and interact with this woman he goes one step further he shows compassion on this woman he acknowledges her dignity he 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 goes one step further he's teaching uh torah and in light of messianic prophecy to women he goes one step further check this out chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 he includes them in on his ministry let's close by just reading this so soon afterward he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, they were all men, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So this woman who had had uh, seven, meaning this number of completion, she was totally demonically possessed, and Jesus brought her healing. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, so a woman of of power and means, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So who is with Jesus when he ministers? Well, we always assume the 12 are with him. But do you also know that there are women with Jesus? Women who were at once far from God, now being brought into the mission of God. Women who are vital to the mission of God ministering to the people whose shoes they were once in. And even says here they're, they're financially supporting by their means the ministry of Jesus. Listen, women are vital to the mission of God. Ladies, let me just close with this. This is a plea to you. We need you. We need you. I'm not sure that you hear that enough. But we need you. Hear it. We want you to be a part of what God is doing. God wants you to be a part of what He's doing. He has called you not simply to the stereotypical things that women are to do as unique to their role that are amazing, beautiful, wonderful things. We could not raise godly children without these wonderful godly women. They are vital but we need you in so many other areas that you don't even know. We, we need you. God wants to use you 
massively. You are vital. And so as I lead us in prayer, maybe, maybe some of you today, you're just starting to really latch on to just how vital you are to the work of Jesus. Maybe you're just latching on to your worth and your dignity in the eyes of our Lord. I, I pray that you're encouraged. Some of you in here, maybe, maybe you're just at a, at a place where you're relating with the, the sinful woman and, and you're realizing, I'm not untouchable. I'm not too far gone. That, that Jesus came to, to live and to die and to resurrect for you. That you are worth it. And as this woman did, that you too would respond in faith. I want to invite you to that this morning. So would you guys close your eyes if you would. Just take a minute with me. And we just want to, we just want to pray. We want to acknowledge the Lord and what He's saying to, to each of us. Again, perhaps He's telling you, you're worth it. You're not untouchable. You're not too far gone. I love you. Or perhaps you're, you're, you're really sensing him call you right now to faith and to exercise faith in him just as this woman did. Where Jesus is impressed with great faith. And he says, because you have placed faith in me and what I do for you, your sins are forgiven. And so perhaps some of you right now in this moment need to call out to God and say, Lord, acknowledge your holiness and my unholiness, my sin, my need for you. And Lord, I want to trust in your life and your death and your resurrection. Become a Christian. We call you to that too. And the best way you know how as we pray, as we sing and respond, you can talk to the Lord. You guys take this time to talk to God, to worship him, to acknowledge him. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your morning that you've given us, that you set before us. Thank you for your word. Help us to respond appropriately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.